Amen. Okay. Got the time. Whew. Hi there. Um, I like this. I feel as I can work in a call centre now. It's great. Could be one of those people on the adverts, you know. Course will improve your insurance. You know, that'd be great. So you can all hear me okay? Yep, fine, brilliant. You could probably hear me anyway, but I'm um, Let's begin. Let's see if I can work this. Hey, improve your serve. I stole this from a Charles Swindle book that I read many years ago. It was a very, very good book. Anybody read that book? Nobody? Can't believe it. Um, Try and order it. It's excellent. Everything you need to know about service. Um, and I like the pun. Do you like the pun? Improve your serve. Um, I, was never, I was never that good at tennis. Uh, I brought my visual aid. Um, but my serve was quite good. My serve was quite good because I'm so tall, I could hit down on the ball, and the ball then would go in and smash somebody in the face, and it'd be brilliant. Okay. Um, but two years ago, unfortunately, uh, the, well, not unfortunately, to begin with, the Crescenti's booked a villa in Cornwall for the weekend, and we made the huge mistake of playing tennis in the local tennis court. It was a rainy day, and it was wet, and the floor was slippery. Um, and I seem to remember that Jazz did a drop shot, <laughs> and I was at the back of the court, and I had to go legging it. It was like slow motion. I had to go legging it to try and get to the ball. But the thing was, I, I kind of slid. And it was like one of those slow motion, no, type moments. And then I did the splits. <laughs> now, my family were in fits of laughter on the floor. They thought it was hilarious. But I'd ripped something. And I couldn't play anymore. And I couldn't do my morning jog for about three months. I had to do Sue's awful physio kind of... <laughs> for about three months. And the worst thing was, I knew then that my Wimbledon career was over. I would never, ever make it to the final, ever. Okay? Um, but despite all that, today I'm going to be your coach to improve your serve this morning. Okay? And some of you are thinking, what, have I come to a tennis session or something? No. you come to the right place. Um, so we're going to improve your serve this morning. Okay? Um, and let's see what kind of serves we're looking at. So, to improve your serve in relation to your ambitions, your compassion, your reputation, and your forgiveness. These four very important serves that we need to improve in as Christian tennis players or Christians generally. Okay, are you up for this? Um, the first serve I'm going to demonstrate then is the skill of having kingdom ambitions. Ambitions, in, in, in other words, to help others, rather than self-ambitions self to help ourselves. So I might kind of go for an underarm to kind of ease you into this coaching session then to begin with. Um, the first one is to do with kingdom ambitions then. Are you ready? Um, we're looking at Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, so, uh, Jesus' ambition was to please God the Father and rescue the world from deadly sin. 
God became one of us. He made himself into a tiny little human being from being almighty God. Philippians talks that he was like found in the likeness of a human. Okay. Now, my ambition, if I was the son of God, I'd probably want to stay put. Because in heaven, I've got quite a good thing going on. I've got like my morning golf. I've got like my afternoon lounging by the pool. I've got my kind of early evening G&Ts, you know. Um, and then I get to go to a worship service where everybody's worshipping me. Why would I want to leave heaven to come down to earth? It's madness, surely. Madness. Um, Jesus' ambition was to be born into poverty, into a nation dominated by the Roman Empire. He wanted to identify with us, identify with human beings, with people, with refugees, with poor people. He really wanted to identify and also fulfill the prophecy from the Old Testament that he was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Okay? Um, my ambition, I'd want to be born in Buckingham Palace. If I'm going to be born anywhere, Buckingham Palace, the fact that it's quite a long donkey ride back to Nazareth, nothing to do with it, the fact that Buckingham Palace wasn't actually even built then, slightly problematic. But that's the kind of place I'd like to kind of be born into, not a stinky stable. Uh, Jesus' ambition was to be a lowly, hard-working carpenter, to again identify with us. My ambition, if I was coming from heaven as the king of heaven, my ambition would be to avoid hard work altogether. Um, I'd be, the kind of job I'd do, I'd like to be a royal events organiser. In other words, my royal events. Okay? I'd like to be the kind of person that was able to display my wealth. I'd like to be the kind of person that even Caesar would have to bow down before me. Carpenter, forget that. Um, Jesus' ambition was to travel around on foot or on donkey or by boat preaching the gospel. That was his mode of travel. My ambition, I want a Lamborghini. At least a Lamborghini. That's what I want. Or one of those wonderful golden coaches I saw on TV yesterday. That's what I want. It'd be hilarious if the disciples saw my Lamborghini. I want Pete, I'm trying to work out what Peter would make of it. Does it float? You know, so uh, essentially, um, my kind of ambitions and Jesus' ambitions sometimes are very, very different. Okay, and you can know which ones are the more holy. Um, Jesus' ambition would be to die a terrible death in our place. Remember the Graham Kendrick song, uh, Servant King? Um, Hands up, flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. What fantastic lyrics. Um, that's what we're talking about. God, the incarnation, God becoming a human. Uh, Jesus, who flung stars into space because he's God, of course. To cruel nails surrendered, all right, for our sake. Um, my ambition would be to, um, you know, I'm not going to die for you lot. My ambition would be to send an underling to die for you lot. You know, I'd be like Lord Farquhar from Shrek. You know, some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I'm prepared to make. You know, that's, that would be my attitude. I'd go for the Lord Farquhar kind of approach. Um, and if the worst came to the worst, and the, the Roman soldiers had appeared, and Judas had appeared, and I knew that time was up, my final prayer would be to God. God, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. That's the kind of thing I would be saying. Okay. Unfortunately, we live in a world which is full of selfish and narcissistic, vain conceits. Okay. Um, nothing says vanity like a pair of sunglasses when it's not even sunny. 
Nothing says vanity more than that, okay? Um, nothing says vanity like look at me clothes. Nothing says vanity like rich people going for cosmetic surgery because they're not happy with their normal face. They want to be perfect. You know, they want to kind of, it didn't quite work out for Michael Jackson, but you know, they want to be absolutely perfect or they want to look younger. Um, and you know, what we're reading in Philippians is so true to what's happening in our world. This is not just like a dusty Bible. People are ruining their lives because of vain conceits. It's unbelievable. We might be doing it. That's why I'm here. Uh, we also live in a world where there's huge selfish ambition for status. Um, we had a flood at our place last year. There was a southwest water pipe burst outside our house. Five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, we heard what I thought was rain, but no, it was water flooding down our driveway into our house. We had to, phone, we had to get the fire engines out to pump all the water out. The good news was that Southwest Water, probably not wanting to be sued by us, gave us anything we wanted to kind of get the house back to normal. And the one good thing is the driveway... There was a few loose kind of little bricks. And I, I was saying, well, it's just got to be replaced, the whole driveway. And they said, yeah, we agree, it's got to be replaced. So now, after four weeks, we've got this brand new driveway. And I now go around our neighbourhood, and I look at other people's driveways. Not our standard, nah. Look at our driveway. And you get like that, and you could be, oh, my car, better than yours over there, and yours. Not as good as yours, though. Um, or you can get to the place where you think, I've got a semi-detached house. I don't want to be... I want a detached house. Um, I did watch a program once about billionaires. You know, this really happens. Billionaires, the, the top billionaires, what they do is they find a place, say, in California next to the beach that they want to go to. And they've got neighbours who've also got huge houses. And what they do is they go to their neighbours and they say, what would you want for this house? And they say, well, we're not going to sell. But what would you want if you did sell? Oh, 10 million? I will give you 20 million for your house if you sell it to me. And they go, all right, fantastic. We'll sell the house and we'll move somewhere else. The only reason they want to do this is because they don't want neighbours. This is what happens. These, these people, these human beings are diseased. These billionaires are diseased. Their heads are diseased. They get this money, and instead of becoming a normal human being created by God, they become a diseased human being. And they, they, they're in a sense where, basically, they're spending lots of money to make sure that a mile apart they haven't got neighbours. How sick is that? It's just unbelievable. Um, so we also live in a world where people have selfish ambitions as nations. Nations that decide it's perfectly okay to go and invade other nations, go for a quick land grab. Or the havoc that was caused, say, for example, by the Third Reich in the 1930s. Their selfish ambition to be a great German empire, to invade other nations. You know, you're thinking, well, this is just Philippians, chapter 2, verses 3. This is real life. This is real life. This, this affects history, what we're talking about here. The Bible affects history, and the people's ignorance of the Bible affects our histories, all our histories. Okay. Um, what do I do with my drink? Oh, there it is. Um, so what about your ambitions then? What about your ambitions? Imagine if we put up on the video screen here, you know, we could have had something on your head and we managed to find out what your dream come true would be. And on it goes onto the video screen and you're going, oh no. 
would it be you using your skills to make people smile and to bless them? Would it be packed churches all praising God and people becoming Christians? Would it be the starving children being fed and being rescued? Would it be all that? Would they be your ambitions for the future? Or, like me, would you be sitting on a throne? Or would you be sunbathing outside your new mansion? And you haven't got neighbours anymore, which is great. Or would, you, would it be you on the Graham Norton show? You know, being a centre of attention? What about your ambitions? If we manage to kind of get them there on the screen, only you can j- tell me what your dreams come true would be. Are they godly kingdom ambitions? Or are they selfish ambitions and vain conceits? What are they? Um, so here are some quick tips for improving your kingdom ambitions this week then. Um, think of one person perhaps that you can help this week rather than thinking about yourself. Think of one person that can go before you. I'm the kind of person when I'm in Morrison's, if I'm going to the till and somebody else is going to the till, I suddenly pick up speed quick. That's the kind of person I am. Because my time is far more important than their time, of course. You know. um, instead of doing that, why don't you just take one step back? Do that. Okay. Um, so essentially, uh, that's two things you can do this week. Be happy in defeat. If you're playing a family game of Monopoly and you come last, be happy for the winner. <laughs> of course, in the Crescenti household, that always happens. Um, have new daydreams. Be like Paul. His, his ambitions, the Apostle Paul, is, it's, it's for you. His, his ambitions were, if, if, if the saints are doing really well, that's really fulfilled his ambition. That's what he really wanted. He, hadn't, he didn't have selfish ambition and vain conceit. So try and nurture kingdom ambition this week and try and kill selfish ambition then. Um, okay, the second serve. Time. Second serve, I'm going to demonstrate then is the skill... Of compassion. Okay? A bit more of a kick, a bit more of a <coughs> grunt as we go forward with the second serve. All right? Um, let's see how we do. In humility, value others above yourself. In humility, value others above yourself. Think of other people. People perhaps who need more help than you. Okay? Um, so I'll just get rid of that. Uh, Jesus showed his compassion when he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to these in Matthew 19. Um, kind of my lack of compassion would be, the kind of result of my lack of compassion would be, I'd be irritated by the children. They'd be far too noisy. I'd be saying, don't let the children come to me. Isn't it time for the children to go out? That'd be my like kind of feeling half the time. But Jesus, no, Jesus, let the children come to me. You know, I'm quite happy for them to be here while I do the talk. All right. Um, Jesus showed his compassion by touching a man with leprosy. I think it's called Hansen's disease now. Um, and just by touching the man, maybe on the shoulder, on the hand, just by touching him, he gave him an electricity vault of emotional support because nobody else would go anywhere near him. So that's the first thing Jesus did, gave him the compassion of touching him. And then, of course, he healed him. Imagine three years ago if you had COVID-19 and they just basically said, you've, you've got no chance of surviving this. Or today if you've got like stage four cancer and you know you're in your last weeks. And then Jesus comes along and he just touches you for a few seconds and you heal from it. Could you imagine the relief, the joy, the glory of that? And this is what this man experienced through Jesus, through his compassion. 
Now, if I'd approached the man, through my lack of compassion, I would have been a bit worried about this guy who's got leprosy. Um, it would have probably manifested in itself by me demanding full PPE. I'd want gown, I'd want mask, I'd want goggles, I'd want gloves, I'd want social distancing. You know, I'd want the whole lot. Um, and I'd probably a quick prayer for the guy with leprosy and I'd be, I'd be away. In my worst moments, some of you looking at me and say, Ivan, you need help. And they go, but in my worst moments, that perhaps is what I'd be like. Jesus showed compassion, though. Okay? Jesus showed compassion to uh, a violent, demon-possessed man. They, had, they were so violent, they had to put him in chains, and they had to put iron on his ankles. And he was so violent and powerful and strong through the power of the demons that he ripped the chains off and he ripped the irons off. Can you imagine that? Was Jesus scared? No. Jesus went directly to the man, no social distancing. And he delivered the man from the demons. And that man then was just so, so grateful to Jesus. Through my lack of compassion, I probably would want to spend or get myself a long way from somebody with those violent tendencies. My cowardice would probably come into play. I'd be kind of, from a distance, I'd be, stay calm, stay calm, and carry on, and think positive. And I'd be off really quickly. I think in our worst moments, we'd all be like that, wouldn't we? Um, uh, but Jesus, no. Jesus, compassion. Okay, so unfortunately we live in a world where compassion has gone out of fashion. Compassion out of fashion. Um, you know, in our workplaces, we always encounter kind of black hole people. Have you encountered a black hole person? Um, what on earth is a black hole person? Um, a black hole person is somebody who's so self-centered that you get sucked into their world and you before long, you are sucked into the black hole of somebody else's world because they are so self-centered. They are so in a situation where they don't value other people above themselves. They can only think about themselves. Um, celebrities, quite often, are black hole people. Call them black hole celebrities, if you like. I've got five quotes for you, okay? I'm not going to tell you their names to protect the guilty, all right? Um, but here, here are five quotes uh, and yes, these people really did say this. And these celebrities they didn't say these ironically. They really, really meant them. Okay? Oh, God. Um, uh, this was only five from these very, very privileged celebrities. The first one. We don't pay taxes. Only the little people pay taxes, said a hotel um, owner and tycoon in 1989. Um, next one. I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God, said a female pop star back in 1985. Okay, some of you might be guessing who these people are. I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. Black hole celebrities. I don't wake up for less than $10,000 a day. I mean, with inflation, that'd be about $20,000 a day probably now. Said a famous model in 1990, I don't wake up for less than $10,000 a day. Next one, you probably know this one for some of you. Please don't call me arrogant, but I'm European champion, and I think I'm a special one. <laughs> Said a football manager, a famous football manager, back in 2004. And the last one, again with the word arrogant, um, this is going to sound arrogant, but my presence is charity, <laughs> said, um, said a rapper 
from 2012. You can look it up later. My very presence is charity. Black hole uh, celebrities. And there's so many of them. They're sucked into their own little world. Unbelievable. Okay, um, a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. There you go, I'll leave that one with you. A man wrapped up in himself makes a very small parcel. Um, and I would just say to you, if you ever become famous, you're, you know, if you ever become a sports person, you become a pop star, film star, prime minister, you become a king or a queen, <laughs> um, and someone asks you for your autograph, just be humble, think of other people more than yourself, and ask for their autograph. Say to them, look, you know, you might see me as this great leader, but I'm just a board. I'm just like, I'm a human, blood, blood and flesh like you are. I'll, I'll agree to give you my autograph, you give me your autograph, okay? Show them humility. Show them that you know who you really are. Um, how can we become more compassionate like Jesus then? Um, in Philippians, it says, become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which we shine like stars. Here are some tips for the week. If some people in your household make a bit of a mess, don't get bitter, just tidy up. If you've got a four-year-old child, probably don't take that advice, otherwise you'll spoil them. Um, but you know, um, sometimes, don't get bitter, just show them humility, tidy up. Um, there is somebody in our house who uh, has puts clothes in their cupboard and then always leaves their shirt hanging out of the cupboard, you know what I mean? And I'm forever going around putting... <laughs> putting the clothes in the cupboard and then shutting it. I don't like kind of, at the end of the day, excuse me, I found another cupboard open today. I don't do that. I just um, do secret acts of kindness. Uh, I mean, don't tell Sue this, but what I do before she gets her cup of tea in the morning, okay, before she gets her cup of tea in the morning, I always make, before she goes to work, I always make a cup available by the kettle so that she doesn't have to go hunting around for a cup. I do that all the time. It's my, act, it's my secret act of kindness. Okay? That's why I like to see it. My secret act of kindness. Okay? <laughs> um, what else can you do? Uh, when the jobs are being given out, don't say, Bugsy, I'm doing that one. Volunteer to do the worst one. You know, show, show that you love other people more than yourself. Volunteer for the worst job. Make sure there's always a £5 note in your purse or wallet every time you go into town. Don't avoid the big issue seller by crossing the road, like I often do. Just get your wallet out, purse out, £5 for a, a big issue magazine. Um, give anonymous tips. When you go into a cafe and there's a bowl of kind of, you know, tips, don't like get your like kind of big one pound coin and say, oh, oh, there you go. You know, instead, when they're not looking, get your fiver out, quick, don't let them see. You know, um, in humility, value others above yourself. Don't try and get the glory for yourself when you're giving. All right. Um, if you're watching disaster stories on the news, don't say, thank God that's not me. Thank God that's not my family. That's probably not the attitude to have. The attitude might be better to say, well, what if it was me? What if it was my family? And that might help you to be more, become more compassionate to the people who are going through the terror, like in Ukraine, for example. Um, and the last one, be careful of the cynical. The cynical might say to you, ah, oh, the only reason you do good works is to make yourself, you know, feel better about yourself. Say yes! That's exactly why I give. Because I do want to feel better that a starving child is now eating. I do want to feel better that a refugee has now got a home. Yes, that is why I do it. 
Okay, so don't listen to the cynical, who probably never give anything anyway. You know, you just carry on giving and feel good about the giving. Um, so try to nurture compassion this week then, and try to kill self-centeredness. Okay, the third serve. The third serve I'm going to demonstrate then is the, sk the skill of having a humble reputation. Okay, it's going to 150 miles down the line. Okay, that's the third one. Let's have a look. Time, okay. Uh, I'll let you read that for a second. Okay, um, the only reputation Jesus was interested in was a reputation for doing the will of his father. He refused to be seduced by fame, okay? He wasn't interested in being popular. He wasn't interested in some kind of great reputation. Um, imagine you were a big celebrity and huge crowds followed you and you were brilliant at stand-up and you were a world-class magician and you were an incredible healer and you had a rebel kind of status like Che Guevara um, and people just followed you everywhere. Um, could you then, given all that, resist temptation, not grasp at being famous, could you resist temptation and just want to live a simple life? Well, the great thing is, Jesus was all that. He was all that. In one, the great stand-up storyteller, the great magician or miracle worker, the great healer. He was a rebel of incredible proportions. He was all that. Crowds flocked to him. He was such the huge celebrity of his day. And yet, he didn't grasp at fame. He didn't want to kind of lord it over and get drunk and seduced on the fame. He knew he had a job to do, and that job was to save the world. Um, now, if it was me, again, if I had Jesus' talents, I'd do everything to promote my reputation. I would be maximizing my star status. I'd want a manager, an agent. I'd want huge appearance fees. I'd want a sponsorship deal. I'd want like, a kind of image rights company. I'd want a lot. I'd be tempted to want that anyway. Okay? Um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew he was facing imminent humiliation in front of his family, his friends, his fan base. He knew he was facing imminent humiliation. But he didn't care. He didn't care about his popular reputation. He had a job to do. job to please the Father and save the world. That was his job. Now imagine, you know, imagine if this happened to King Charles. Imagine if his bodyguards suddenly disappeared. Imagine if he was attacked by the horse guard parade. Imagine if he was stripped down half naked. Imagine if he was executed, perhaps in an electric chair. We would say, Ivan, you're now in the realm of absolute fantasy. But this happened to the King of Heaven. This happened to God, the Almighty. This is what happened to him. It's just, the gospel story is just incredible. It's amazing. Um, if it was me, if I was about to be crucified, my reputation, I try to imagine what it would be like. I mean, I won't go out if I've got a mouse or never mind anything else. But, you know, essentially, um, if my reputation was on the line completely, I, couldn't, I just couldn't go through with it. I can't imagine me being on the cathedral green, being beaten to a pulp by off-duty Marines, and then being stripped half-naked to my underwear, to be hung upon some tree, to be slowly strangling, being strangulated to death. 
And below me are hundreds of shoppers, kind of, you know, eating their crisps. And all my ex-pupils, hundreds of them, suddenly arrived. And I'm there in absolute agony, screaming. There's no way I can go through that humiliation. Or before then. There's no way I could go through it. But Jesus went through it. Jesus was prepared to go through it. Okay. Because of compassion. And because he didn't care about his reputation. Okay, we live in a world where public relation gurus are paid a fortune to spin the poor reputations of companies. So it's mad. It, it kind of, this is exaggerated. It's like, you know, Save the World sponsored, or Save the Earth sponsored by BP, or it's like, you know, Equal Rights for Women sponsored by the Taliban. It's, we live in that kind of mad world where well, it's breathtaking how some companies get away, how some companies on countries get away with sports washing, for example, their appalling human rights record, how they get away with greenwashing, their terrible kind of pollution and, you know, kind of terrible reputation for uh, killing the world, killing the earth. Or the celeb washing, they pay celebrities fortunes, and these celebrities take these fortunes, of course, um, so that they can kind of put their, hide their evils under the carpet. That's the kind of, if you don't believe me, just watch the news. This is happening all the time, because people's reputations for them are so important. I'm not talking about a company that has a good reputation because they do good things. That's fine. I'm talking about, you know, bad people who do anything to hide their terrible, do anything to hide their terrible deeds. And they kind of, they sports wash or green wash or celeb wash what they're doing. Um, the famous and the powerful will be in for a shock on Judgment Day. Every knee will bow before Christ, whether a celebrity, a prime minister, a president, a king or a queen. We're all going to be equal in front of God. And we're all going to be, hopefully, our knees will be okay in those days. And we won't have any arthritis because we're going to have to all get down. And we're all going to be kneeling before Christ. And that will be the great equaliser between, before all of us. We're all going to be bowing down before, before the King of Heaven. Um, God, at that point, will not be interested in people's titles. They'll be gone. He won't be interested in their trophies and Oscars. They'll be gone. He won't be interested in their bank balance. That'll be gone. Um, the only thing God will be interested in is how much love did you leave behind? He'll look down to planet Earth to the love you left behind, and that will be the most significant thing. Of course, you need to be saved to get into heaven. You need Christ. But this is what will be significant on Judgment Day, the love that you have left behind, your legacy, um, not your money, not your trophies, not your titles. Um, so there won't be any fame in heaven. Celebrities in heaven will probably be unrecognisable. Uh, this got me thinking a little bit. Um, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Um, I'm thinking these celebrities are now no longer celebrities in heaven, no longer got their titles anymore. No presidents, no prime ministers. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he now rides a bus, apparently drives a bus in heaven. Uh, he's like kind of, you know, heaven tours, you know, got rid of the beard. Um, Winston Churchill runs a fish and chip shop. I think it's called the, uh, the House of Cod, I think it's called. Oh, no, oh, no, sorry, no, Heavenly Places, that's it, Heavenly Places. No. All Souls, sorry, I go wrong, All Souls, that's the one. Um, Queen Victoria, she's just, Queen Victoria, she's just a humble barmaid now, not a royal anymore, she's a humble barmaid. Um, the name of the pub, the Queen Vic, of course, or the Queen Ex Vic, uh, so that's uh, essentially for Queen Victoria. Um, look, the most important point is, if you think you've got a very important reputation, 
and you're very proud of your reputation, so, much, so proud that you're like full of yourself. Today's a chance. Get rid of it. Stamp on it. Okay? Get rid of it forever. The only reputation you need is to be a humble servant like Jesus. That's the only reputation you're ever going to need. All right? Any other kind of reputation, burn it, cut it, kill it, stop it. Okay? Get rid of it. You don't need it. You don't want it. And if you're spending all your days this week building up your reputation, you're wasting your time. God is not interested. The only thing God wants you, he wants to love you. He wants you to be his child. He wants you to serve you. He wants you, he wants you to serve him. You want, he wants you to be a servant and a happy servant. He's not interested in your silly little reputations. Okay? Um, so, what can you do this week? Some quick tips. Um, if you've got a pecking order at your place of work or wherever you, you are, even in church, and your aim is to try and get to the top of the pecking order, forget it. You'll never do it anyway, because people always peck on you. Okay? Just say, I'm very happy to be pecked. I'm very happy to be the bottom of the pecking order. I don't care. Okay? I'm not going to spend my life trying to get to the top of the pecking order so I can peck everybody else. No. That's not for me. Okay? If somebody corrects you this week, don't get full of pride and say, how dare you? How, how dare you? Don't be like that. You know, thank people that they correct you if you're wrong. Okay? Um, if, if you can't do something, ask for help. Don't be the kind of person that's full of pride. You don't want your reputation to be denied. So you don't say, oh, I can't ask for help. Then they'll think how rubbish I am at. In my case, it's this, 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 this. You know? Swallow your pride. Your reputation is a servant anyway. And you just want to be a servant. And so asking for help is great because then you can become a better servant. All right? Um, keep quietish about the achievements of yourself and your children. If Jemima's got a PhD in nuclear physics at Oxford University, just keep it a bit quiet. Okay? Don't go around boasting about that. All right? Because, you know, it's great that Jemima's got a PhD in nuclear physics at Oxford University. She might be able to help. But... We don't want to lord it over everybody, okay? Um, so there are quick tips for the week. So try and nurture a humble reputation this week. Try and kill self-importance. Right, the last skill you'd be glad to know. Uh, the fourth skill I'm going to demonstrate then is the skill of forgiveness. Now, this is the hardest skill to learn. This is the, I have to put a lot of slice on this because I've got to move you out of your normal entrenched position. Okay? I have to move you to the side of the court, because otherwise you will stay in your entrenched position about forgiveness, because it's the hardest skill to learn, certainly for me, anyway. The other three, no problem. This one, this is a challenge. Okay? This is a big challenge for me. Let's just have a quick look. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'll just make, let you make the link between that and forgiveness. Okay, so Jesus not only said, forgive your enemies, he also said, love your enemies. We're not to love their wrongdoing, of course, but we're to love them. That's the command from Jesus. Unbelievable. It just like so rings true that this is the this is the real God, doesn't it? The real you know false gods would be saying get revenge on your enemies. The real God says no, love them, forgive them. Okay, um, 
I told you this is the most difficult serve. My motto would be destroy my enemies, be ruthless with them, and be proud of your ruthlessness. No second chances. No, no, no. Sorry. And then you're kind of quite proud that you've, you've, you've like kind of kicked them out of your life. Yes, they deserved it. Okay? This is painful, isn't it? Um, when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus remarked, uh, rebuked Peter for cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant, claiming he could get, if he wanted to, the urgent assistance of 12 legions of angels from his heavenly father. He was teaching Peter about forgiveness, and then he also put the ear back on the servant. I can, oh, sorry, wrong way. And then put the ear back on the servant and made sure that um, Peter learned about forgiveness. If I'd been Jesus, which I'd obviously never be, I would have congratulated Peter for cutting off the ear of the servant when the Roman soldiers had come to arrest Jesus. I'd be high-fiving. I'd be saying, go and get the posse. Tell them to bring knives. That's the kind of thing I'd be doing. Um, I'd then get my mobile phone out and say, yeah, Dad, yeah, 72,000 angels. I think we need them now. Yeah, that'd be good. That's the kind of thing I'd be doing. In my worst moments, of course, that's the kind of thing I'd be tempted to do. And of course, Jesus forgave people on the cross, even though his suffering was absolutely hellish. Um, we, we, when people talk about the cross, they often just talk about Jesus and the physical suffering on the cross. That wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was that God had to punish Jesus properly. He had to become the scapegoat. He was the lamb led to slaughter. So Jesus, it says in Galatians, became a curse. Jesus would have lost hope for a while on the cross that he would have been cut off from his father. He would have been thinking, I am, I am the guilty one. I have taken the sins of the world upon myself. Imagine that. You know, you're going through the physical agony. Now you're going through the spiritual agony as well. Every day I thank God, that I thank Jesus that he, he was prepared to do that. I couldn't even go through the pain, never mind the spiritual pain of being cut off from God, being hopeless for a while, in despair for a while. I couldn't cope with that. Um, and even out of all that, he was still able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, you might have somebody that you can't forgive. I tell you, have they put you on a cross and crucified you? You know, if Jesus can forgive, then we can forgive. All right? Um, so, if it had been me on the cross, I would have cried out, Father, I wouldn't have cried out, Father, forgive them. I'd go, Father, destroy them. They know full well what they're doing. I'd be like, in my worst moments, I would be full of bitterness and anger and revenge and come on. That's the kind of attitude that I would have. Um, I'd probably be looking down and saying, see you all on Judgment Day. That's the kind of person I would be. But Jesus, no. Jesus is perfect. Perfect love. Okay, um, there's so much unforgiveness in the world. For example, the leaders of our two main political parties are each other's throats every day of the week. You see it on TV, don't you? Wouldn't it be great if one time Keir Starmer was listening to Rishi Sunak and he just said, in front of all the House of Commons, imagine he just said, Rishi, what you just said actually was really good. I really appreciate that, mate. It was really in fact, my, you know, my honourable friends, we're all going to give you a clap. And not an ironic clap either, you know. Imagine then Rishi's going, what? Imagine Rishi turns around to Keir and says, well, I'd, I, 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 I'd just like to thank Keir for that, and uh, uh, we do appreciate the work the Labour Party does, and can we give them a round of applause? <coughs> <coughs> the 
This is under the category of fantasy. It will never happen because of human sinfulness. Okay? Um, and the United States, of course, is worse. The polarization in the United States is even worse. Okay? Um, but wouldn't it be great if forgiveness just came into the world? All our news stories, all our lives would change. Um, there's so much unforgiveness in the religious world. For example, 25 years, this month, 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement, the kind of agreement to try and bring Protestants and Catholics together and their communities together and their, and their politics together. But I hear it's still a very divided place in Northern Ireland, that these communities are poles apart, different schools for kids, different places of work, etc., etc. It all goes back, apparently, to 1969 when the troubles began, but in reality, it goes back to the history of Ireland over the last few hundred years, you know, for those who know about Ireland. And essentially, also, it, it's our country has got the same Catholic-Protestant history. You only have to know about Henry VIII, <laughs> The Church of England, of course, which was mentioned quite a few times yesterday. Uh, Bloody Mary, Elizabeth I, James I, Catholic Protestants, Catholic Protestants, Catholic Protestants, Catholic Protestants. And he's still here today. Why? Because of unforgiveness. It's in Philippians 2. It's all there. It's in our world. And it's been in our world for hundreds of years. Okay? Um, there's so much unforgiveness in personal relationships. Uh, many years ago, I knew someone quite well whose wife had left him for another man. Okay? This person, for the first couple of years, was bitter. Was really bitter. Everything he said about his wife and the relationship, especially the man who took his wife, bitterness. And then it started to change. Over the years, it started to change. The last time I saw this person... This person had got to the place, he says, I've, I pray for them, I wish them well. Could you imagine getting to that place of forgiveness? The Holy Spirit works in your heart so much that you're willing now to forgive the person who kind of stole your wife. It's unbelievable. You know, <coughs> hasn't remarried, hasn't got a new wife to kind of take away the pain. Single, but still very happy to pray for the people who um, betrayed him, in a sense, in a real sense. Um, so, what about us? Is it finally time to forgive somebody? Is it finally time, after all these years, to actually forgive and get the poison out of the heart? Okay. Um, for some of you, you're absolute saints. You've done this already. For some of us, and I include myself, perhaps we haven't as much as we possibly could. Um, quick tips for the week. Um, in terms of you know, preparing yourself for forgiveness, if you're having a debate with somebody in the house, or an argument even, let the other person have the last word. Some couples here now looking, nudging each other. <laughs> let the other person have the last word. Be gracious, be forgiving. Um, if a stranger cuts you up in the car, don't come out with all the expletives you would never use in church. You know, just pray for them. Say, Lord, I don't know why they're doing this, but you know, pray for them right now. Okay, um, if somebody kind of puts you down, um, you know, if somebody puts you down, don't think, all oh, right, I've got to get my revenge in now. Somebody put, just first, the first thing is, just first of all, pity them. Because if they're putting you down, it's probably because they're quite insecure. They need to lord it over you because they're insecure about you, perhaps. So first of all, pity them. And then secondly, maybe think of a way of saying, well, look, listen, you know, is there any reason why you called me that? You know, because perhaps it's not the best thing to call. Calm, humour maybe, 
pity. Um, and if you are in the wrong, give unreserved apologies. Okay, don't do an apology exchange policy. Okay, I'll apologise to you if you apologise for this, 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 this. Okay, don't do that. Just if you're in the wrong, apologise unreservedly. Okay, um, there's been a spate in the last two years of members of parliament who have been sacked. I won't get political on you. They come from different political parties. And in each case, not one of them, as far as I can remember, has said sorry. Not one of them has said, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I could have done better. I could have done better. Each one has doubled down on the sins that they committed. You know, and they've left ungraciously. Um, let's not be like that. Let's, give the, let's set an example to the MPs. So try and nurture forgiveness this week then. Try to kill revenge and ruthlessness. Um, and in summary, let's have a quick recap of the skills we've learned this morning. Um, it says there, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. It's one of my favourite little quotes at the moment. Um, if I say all this today and you've forgotten it by tomorrow, what was the point? There is no point. The only way you're going to be a great tennis player is practice, 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 practice. So the things that we've learned today, you have to practice in your quiet times during this week, the next week, the next month, and so on. And so eventually you do become somebody, for example, who is um, ambitious in a good way. You do become eventually somebody who's got compassion. You do eventually become somebody who's got a humble reputation. You do eventually become a forgiving person and have the gentleness of a forgiving person. Okay. So, which serve do you need to work on the most? Do you need to work on your kingdom ambitions, killing your selfish ambitions? Is that the one you need to work on the most? Do you need to work on your heartfelt compassion, killing your self-centeredness? Is that the one you need to work on the most when you're doing your tennis training? Um, do you need to work on embracing a humble reputation, killing your selfish reputation? Is that the one for you? Or do you need to work on your ability to forgive, killing your bitterness, killing revenge? Is that the serve? that you really, really need to kind of work on. And remember what I've just said, the only way to improve your serve is constant, focused repetition. That's the only way you are going to become excellent with these four skills. Okay? Shall we pray? Perhaps just think of one of those skills that you need to work on the most um, or you want to improve on anyway. Perhaps just have a quick commitment to God that you are going to try and improve in that skill this week. Heavenly Father, can you give us your Holy Spirit to change our attitudes and our ways? Because without your Holy Spirit power, this is impossible. Please, even now, could you fill us with your Holy Spirit to change, Lord? <coughs> so, Father, I commit, to, I commit us to yourselves this week, Lord, wherever we are. 
whether we're riding high or in the mire, please, Lord, just lift us up. Inspire us to be riding lights. Help us to improve our serve. Amen. Okay, if you've, um, as, as it says in the TV programs, if you've been affected by anything that has been said today, and you want to speak to anybody or pray with somebody, maybe there's a quick chance before people start to eat. Um, the French Open and the Wimbledon uh, Championships are going to be starting in the next month or so. So every time you see somebody serve, ask yourself, how's my serve doing? How's my serve doing? How can I improve my serve? Okay, thank you.